Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster. Hello. It's your daily guide to British politics. And I'm here. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, the NHS has today begun rolling out the Moderna vaccine. Two weeks ahead of schedule, it's a significant boost to the vaccine programme as the UK faces four weeks of supply shortfalls. The first jab's already been given in West Wales. And according to the small business minister, Paul Scully, adults in England will get it soon. Three out of five uh, people within the UK have had their first vaccination so far. So it's going incredibly, uh, you know, at pace as as expected. Um, and you'll see it coming to the uh, to England and the other developed nations um, across the next uh, next few days. Meanwhile, a trial of the AstraZeneca vaccine in children has been paused, while regulators investigate reports of a rare form of blood clot in adults. The University of Oxford, meanwhile, has said no safety concerns have arisen from the children's trial and the government's urging people to accept the jab if they're offered it. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Geoffrey Donaldson, DUP MP for Lagan Valley and DUP lead, of course, in the House of Commons. So, Geoffrey, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. Uh, just give us a sense of how the vaccine programme is going in Northern Ireland. I mean, are, is there general confidence in the available vaccines at the moment? Good morning, yes. Uh, greetings from Northern Ireland. Um, uh, our vaccination programme is going well. Uh, we... Um, have expanded the programme. We've um, opened a new vaccination centre in Belfast, which at its peak we hope will um, see a significant increase in the number of adults uh, receiving the COVID vaccine each day. Um, and that will keep us in line with um, the other parts of the United Kingdom. We're roughly on a par with um, uh, Wales um, and Scotland and slightly behind England, but catching up. Um, and uh, we're well ahead of our neighbours in the Republic of Ireland, of course, who, um, because of the EU's handling of the vaccination programme, are way, way behind. And uh, we're looking at ways in which we might be able to help them with that programme. So none of your constituents are coming to you and saying, I, I don't really trust, uh, for example, the AstraZeneca vaccine, because there's been a lot of publicity about the issues that there may or may not be in terms of side effects. Well, in truth, there there are people who have um, uh, raised concern uh, because of the publicity that has been generated around this. But um, in the main, I can report that the overwhelming majority of adults are coming forward when uh, their appointments are made and are having the uh, vaccine uh, injections. Um, I, I think that the numbers who, who, for various reasons, some of them, for example, pregnant women, um, and, and others with underlying medical conditions are opting out of the vaccination programme. Um, I think the numbers who are uh, not taking the vaccine uh, for ethical reasons um, or because of concerns they have are actually quite small. 
Would you back the idea of having uh, vaccine certificates or passports to get into certain shops, perhaps, or sports events? I mean, that's been talked about a lot, uh, certainly in Westminster. Is it something you'd support? I think we would have concerns about that, to be honest. Uh, uh, There are uh, genuine reasons why some people haven't been able to take the vaccine. I don't think, for example, it would be fair to penalise pregnant women uh, uh, who may want to um, shop somewhere and because they haven't been able to take the vaccine uh, uh, might be prevented from doing so. I think that would be wrong. Uh, so we, we will look very carefully at what the government proposes, uh, but uh, I have to say we would have concerns. Uh, we are a party that believes in personal freedom. Um, we have also very strongly promoted the vaccination programme. We want people to take the vaccine, but we would want to look very carefully at what these restrictions might mean. Yes, uh, I can see a case for large uh, public events, and, uh, and uh, even then I'm not fully convinced, but stopping people going into a shop, um, that would be something we would be very concerned about. What about the argument, I mean, you're a party, as you say, that, that has a, a long history of supporting, I suppose, freedom and the idea that people should be able to do what they want. What about the idea of actually relaxing some of the restrictions faster because of the success of, of the vaccination programme and obviously the, uh, the temptation to open up the economy quicker? Because a lot of your constituents, I'm sure, have suffered grievously from not being able to do business. Indeed, they have. And, uh, you know, I really worry about our economy whenever... Um, the lockdown is eased, and uh, we see that I think the, the real um, significance of, of what this lockdown has done for businesses. I think the furloughing scheme has perhaps, to an extent, um, guarded us from, from, from the awful truth that many people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, and so we, we do need to see economic recovery um, so that we can set about the business of creating new employment for people uh, and help businesses to expand. So, yes. Um, if the vaccination programme continues to be successful, then we would want to look again at the timetable for reopening the economy. I think um, people want to be back at work uh, and uh, we need to be able to facilitate that. And I would make one further point about this, um, and it's really the legacy of lockdown. Uh, and We recognise the need for restrictions, but I'm very concerned about the impact that the, this prolonged lockdown period has had on people's mental health and well-being. And I think there is the prospect of a mental health tsunami coming at us after lockdown. I think we're going to see a lot more people presenting uh, with mental health problems uh, uh, because I, uh, this um, uh, the past year has been a very anxious time for many people. And they've been locked up at home uh, and tried to deal with their thoughts and their feelings and their anxieties. And they're going to need help with that. And I think we need to look at how we resource the health service to deal with the added pressures that will come when the lockdown eases. So um, our health service is going to be very important in this recovery. Uh, They've done excellent work in helping people through the pandemic. But beyond the lockdown, there's going to be more work to be done, I think, with the mental health issues that will arise uh, post-lockdown. Let me ask you then about something that I think must be very much in your mind at the moment, which is the scenes which you've seen in the last uh, two or three nights of uh, violence, uh, violent protests on the streets of Northern Ireland. Uh, What do you think is behind it? What do you think of the way in which it's been handled? I recognise that people have genuine concerns, uh, concerns around the way in which uh, the political elite in Sinn Féin have been 
uh, handled in terms of policing, that they've been able to attend funerals and break the very regulations that they had helped to devise uh, and have done so uh, without uh, with impunity. Uh, and uh, I think there's a real crisis of confidence now in policing and justice in Northern Ireland. Uh, ordinary people who've abided by the rules, um, uh, who've um, had to take the restrictions, and, and they see this Sinn Féin political elite um, driving a hard course through those regulations, breaking the rules, and yet doing so with impunity. And that has created a lot of anger. But let me be clear, the violence is entirely wrong. It, it achieves nothing. Uh, I was speaking this morning to the U.S. Consul General. Scenes of rioting in Belfast, uh, police landovers on fire, and um, does nothing but uh, uh, dissuade people from investing in Northern Ireland. So those young people, their futures, their their uh, employment prospects, uh, many of them will end up with a criminal record because they've been rioting on the streets. And what does that do for their future? Politics is the only way to deal with these issues, and we um, who provide that political leadership need to see these issues addressed at the political level, um, and, and people really shouldn't take to the streets. Well, let me put to you another point, which which I've heard said, that maybe it isn't just uh, perhaps the, the reaction, as you say, to what happened with Sinn Féin, or even um, the issues to do with the uh, border down the Irish Sea, which many people are angry about, the joint the union uh, breaking apart on that, but also, there have been a lot of police action in raiding paramilitaries or ex-paramilitaries, crime uh, families, uh, raiding houses, and that that has caused a lot of anger as well. Do, do you see that? Um, I don't think it's caused anger within the community because people want to be rid of the paramilitaries. They want these people who are involved in organised crime to be brought before the courts, and we support the police and what they're doing in, in really focusing in on these paramilitary organised crime gangs. Um, uh, but I do think there is uh, evidence, uh, I know there is evidence, that some of these gangs are orchestrating some of the violence on the streets for their own purposes. I think this is their way of heading back at the police. Um, it's their way of sending a message to the police. It's wrong. They're exploiting young people. Um, where will these paramilitary godfathers be when young people are sitting in court facing perhaps prison sentences? a criminal record that blights their future, there'll be nowhere to be seen. These young people are being used by the paramilitary godfathers who are engaged in organised crime for their own purposes to hit back at the police. So, yes, you're right, there is an element of that going on, uh, but uh, we support fully the actions the police are taking uh, in closing these paramilitary gangs down. Would you encourage everyone who's been on the streets protesting to go home, basically? Well, I think especially of those young people, uh, and I'm thinking of their future, and the street and violent protest is no place for them. Um, I know they're frustrated. I know they're angry about uh, the Irish Sea border. They're angry about um, the uh, preferential treatment, uh, the double standards applied to the Sinn Féin political elite. I get that. But politics is a way to deal with that. It isn't street protest and violence, especially, uh, well, it's never acceptable, but in, in the midst of a pandemic, when you're angry about other people breaking uh, the restrictions and the regulations, to go out onto the street and break them yourself is not the answer. And so those young people, I would appeal to them not to be out on the streets, to recognise uh, their future is important. We want to, them to have a good future uh, and not a future that is blighted by a criminal record to recognize that they're being used by these paramilitary godfathers for their own end for their own purposes they're being exploited uh, and i would encourage them not to be uh, allow themselves to be dragged into this 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a quick look now at what else is making news in the world of politics. We begin with the pandemic. It's estimated one in three virus survivors go on to develop a neurological or mental health condition within six months of infection. That's according to the first large-scale research to compare the results and risks of COVID to other illnesses, including flu. Professor of psychiatry at Oxford University, Paul Harrison, says anxiety was the most common condition among sufferers rarer but perhaps in some some senses more serious conditions such as dementia, strokes and brain hemorrhages were also found in people after COVID-19 and all those risks were greater than people who'd had any other health condition during the pandemic. Professor Paul Harrison there. Meanwhile, the government hasn't given up on hope on allowing non-essential overseas trips by May. Boris Johnson's urged patience, but airline and airport executives are accusing the Prime Minister of hurting the industry. Virgin Atlantic's CEO has urged the government to restart flights from the UK to the US. EasyJet is calling for a cheap lateral flow test to be used at borders to bring down the cost of travelling. And the government's reportedly open to backing US calls for a global minimum corporate tax rate. The Daily Telegraph says the proposal is likely to form part of a global tax overhaul that's also going to target tech giants. It comes after European leaders yesterday swung behind the radical plan put forward by the Biden administration, with the German finance minister Olaf Scholz saying a deal could be struck by the summer. Now, joining us is the Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Therese Raphael. Therese, thanks for being with us. Let's talk, first of all, about some of the things we heard from Jeffrey Donaldson just now, which uh, were quite striking in terms of him condemning what he saw as the godfathers of the paramilitary groups, the loyalist paramilitary groups, stoking some of the violence that we've seen. He also pointed a finger, of course, at Sinn Féin and their attendance at a funeral uh, a few months ago, uh, which seemed to breach uh, all kinds of regulations, but there was no legal action against them. I mean, do you think this is a growing crisis, really, in Northern Ireland? Well, I certainly think that a lot of underlying tensions have been now surfaced. And, you know, there's not one factor as always in Northern Ireland. It's it's kind of a mix of a mix of contributing uh, factors. But, you know, I, I, I think there's more to it than the DUP's claim that, you know, it's everyone else's, um, you know, that everyone else is, is, is causing the ruckus. 
I mean, Arlene Foster was on the BBC this morning also sort of deflecting blame, heaping it on, uh, partly on the Northern Ireland protocol of Brexit. But, you know, as I said, I think there's just more complex reasons behind the unrest. There are, um, of course, um, drug gangs uh, that have been uh, an issue for a long time in County and County Antrim. Um, Foster's accused the accused Sinn Féin of, you know, being part of an elite and bra- and blaming its members for breaking lockdown rules to attend a funeral. Sinn Féin is, you know, they've admitted that they handled that badly. There's a review of the uh, uh, policing uh, authority in Northern Ireland's decision not to prosecute on that. I don't expect they'll overturn that decision. But, you know, it shows that there's a little more sensitivity to that. Uh, but, you know, you, you also have to wonder whether the DUP is, is you know, gunning for votes here, uh, seeking also to to stoke some of um, uh, stoke divisions in a way that will also deflect attentions from the way that Brexit has you know has really uh, left many in Northern Ireland very unhappy with the arrangement. So it's you know it's as always a cauldron there, um, but I don't think the DUP uh, can successfully deflect all blame for it. Let's talk then about a piece you've got on the terminal uh, this morning, which is, is interesting and very strong. You're talking about Boris Johnson's attitude really to the uh, pressure, of course, to, to, to release the country from its bondage due to, to COVID, but also this issue of vaccine certificates or passports. Now, we've had an interesting line, of course, from the Americans uh, saying now that they're not very keen on the idea of these sort of vaccine passports. Boris Johnson really doesn't seem to be exactly in one place or another. He seems to be blowing both ways, I think. Is that your impression? Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. I mean, I think instinctively he wants to have some kind of vaccine certification uh, because he thinks that it will encourage people to get back into public places. It will relieve pressure on social distancing. And, you know, most importantly, it will provide an added layer of protection. I think partly he's worried that as the vaccination program goes down the age scale, um, we'll see lower uh, levels of vaccination than we have with older generations. And that, of course, creates, you know, additional issues with transmission. His advisors are saying, look, you know, there is going to be um, a higher level of infection, hospitalizations and death rate. And, you know, there's a range of possible outcomes here. And on one end, you know, it could be quite serious. We could be back where we were in January, although it's unlikely it's possible. Now, against that, though, there is you know, real concern among conservatives, just as there has been among Republicans in the U.S., that um, this is a slippery slope to a kind of uh, biosecurity state where uh, people's movements are controlled, where you have the introduction of a kind of an ID card, which is a, uh, you know, a hotbed issue among uh, conservatives and indeed was for Boris Johnson himself in the mid uh, naughties when Tony Blair sought to introduce um, ID cards. So you know, the, the Biden administration has clearly backed off um, its plans for vaccine certification after a number of Republicans, including the governor of Florida, said, you know, we're just not having it. They've now said they'll work with kind of private sector entities that are hoping to introduce it but it's much harder in the US because right the the healthcare system is so much more fragmented and you know and and I think the republican pushback is so much stronger I think Boris can ride this out 
in Britain, provided it's a limited certification program, provided he really clearly spells it out to the public, and that it's temporary and not something that, that you know, is subject to mission creep. Uh, because public opinion is, is still in favor of, of that kind of thing we've seen from a recent Ipsos Mori survey. And, you know, in general, it has been supportive of lockdowns more than you would think. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. You've got some lovely details in your piece talking about that and, and comparing really what you call uh, individualist countries, because I suppose you could say Israel, the US and the UK, all very uh, advanced really now in vaccinations, but people who you might not think want more restrictions or protections, but actually probably do. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the philosophical sort of shift that, that um, we're seeing now is that you know, those who are skeptical of the state and interventionism and the possibilities of coercion have sort of put that on hold for this period and said, you know, the pandemic is, you know, it's exceptional. It, it, it merits a, a level of, uh, of, of state involvement that many people would not have been happy to sanction before. Now, whether that becomes a sort of longer-lasting phenomenon or simply endures for this period of, of, you know, crisis and risk, I think remains to be seen. But it helps explain why, you know, a liberal like Boris Johnson, a liberal in the, in the sort of British sense of the word, um, has, you know, gone in so wholeheartedly for, or at least, you know, um, to the extent that he has for things like, you know, hefty lockdowns and, and um, electronic certification of vaccinations. Let me finally ask you about something that I think is in a lot of people's minds. Only a month away, of course, the regional, local elections. And the biggest focus, of course, is Scotland. We've seen so much upheaval, really, in the Scottish uh, political class and everything that's happened, of course, involving uh, Alex Salmond. And now he's formed his own party, ALBA. Some people say, well, it could uh, damage the SNP in the election and votes uh, for, refer- for a new referendum for independence could be damaged. Others say it won't be. Which way do you turn? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, the, the SNP split is absolutely fascinating. Um, as Sophie Ridge says, like I'm watching a divorce playing out in public. But, you know, really it takes advantage of Scottish electoral politics, where some of it is is um, proportional representation and uh, others are um, are elected, uh, I think, by the first-past-the-post system. So, you know, it may work to take votes off non-independent thinking parties. Um, but, you know, it's not merely about tactics. This is also clearly personal and if Salmon gets back into Hollywood which is 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 expected is is highly likely he's going to push uh, Nicola Sturgeon to a more radical stance on independence so where has she, she realizing that she's only got one shot at this has you know taken a sort of plodding gradualist approach I think with Salmon re-entering the fray what we'll see is uh, you know is a push to accelerate that for sort of stronger tactics and that's going to be the big impact but you know the the unionists in Scotland really need a stronger la- Scottish Labour Party because the Conservatives there are in such disarray. Um, but there's too much damage to those non-independent-seeking parties to really repair in this very short period of time. So, you know, you'd expect um, Salmon to get something out of this. And really those, you know, tensions between independent seekers and, and, and unionists to just get ramped up further. Although, you know, it's interesting that opinion polls have shown support for independence come down a bit, and it's about even now. Yeah, it's a fascinating way. Do you think that unit famously set up inside Downing Street to try and keep the union going? Are they going to be rubbing their hands or chewing their nails at this point? 
Well, a little bit of both, and I think what they're, you know, what what, what they'll, the message they'll try to push home is the idea that the last thing uh, Scotland needs right now is is an independence debate. That there is so much more to be, uh, more important things to be handled with the pandemic, from you know the education crisis to the healthcare backlog to a huge, you know, um, uh, deficit. That independence is really a distraction. That's the line that Downing. Street, that Scottish Labour, that's uh, you know all the non-independence parties are going to be pushing, and I think they'll be they'll be hopeful that that will cut through, even if uh, the the SNP divisions don't quite create the you know the the backlash that they would hope. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.